Hello and welcome to The Beautiful Game, a series exploring personal improvement and resiliency through interviews with soccer coaches from around the world. Beautiful Game is brought to you by Weasels FC, a brand for the tenacious, quick-witted, and occasionally underestimated. I am your host, Tony Niccolo. Join me as we learn to live, work, and play better with more confidence, resilience, and success. I'm here today with Carrie Taylor, who's a former professional player who has coached at every level in the U.S., winning Coach of the Year awards along the way. At Mount St. Joseph in Cincinnati, you were the head coach of the women's and the men's programs. You started the men's programs while also running the women's team. And as a player at the University of Michigan, you helped start their Division I program. Go Blue. Yes. And you are currently an assistant coach at San Diego Loyal FC in what is arguably the most competitive league in the United States, the United Soccer League. Welcome, Carrie. Thanks for having me, Anthony. I really appreciate it. So we start off with a question uh, about an animal that you may or may not be familiar with, weasels. What do you think of weasels? What do I think of weasels? Oh, that is not a question that I was prepared for. I took an animal behavior class in college, but we never really studied weasels. So I'm sure they're probably very inquisitive. I'm guessing probably have to be pretty resilient in survival. That would just be my guess. Am I on the right track there? Yeah, you're on the right track. And they're in the same family as the Wolverine. Ah, yes. Go Blue. So when I started researching you, it's really hard to find a story or interview about you that doesn't reference your pioneering role as a woman coaching men's soccer. Right. You actually seem to find that kind of annoying (laughs) because because you want to be known just as, as a coach. And there have been some studies done on elite coaches, particularly women, and it's normal to find it annoying because the best coaches just want to be seen as the best coaches um, without regard for their gender. MC Breed, who is also from where you're from, Flint, Michigan, in a song that you know, there ain't no future in your front or sometimes no future. There's a line in there that's, yeah, I got dollars in my pocket, not from Roland. In a bootleg version, not from Roland, hustling. And I think that the reason why you might find it particularly annoying is because you are from Flint, Michigan, that you haven't gotten where you are by rolling dice. You've gotten where you are by hustling, by putting in the work. So talk to me a bit about your view and where you are as a coach and and how you think about those things. I just got chills because referencing that song it's funny like on a, our first home opener I put that song on as I was driving to the stadium because you know being from Flint I don't know how many people know the the story of Flint Michigan with unemployment and the water crisis and everything it's a tough place to grow up and the people that live there and the people that are from there we call ourselves the Flintstones and Flint Strong, and you really learn how to have grit and resilience and, and determination being from Flint, but starting from scratch. And so you reference being on the first um, women's soccer team at Michigan. You know, myself and my teammates, we dug in deep and we fundraised and we used to like clean Chrysler Stadium and pass out paper programs, the football games, just because we had this 
dream of making, you know, soccer division one. And, you know, I think the one thing that if I can impress on anyone, whether it be through coaching or business or whatever is you control your work ethic and you control how much work and effort and time and energy you put in. So if you want something, you have to find that from within and you have to go for it. No one's going to hand you anything. No one's going to be like, oh, you did a fantastic job. Here, take, have a bonus. Everything in life that that I've received, I've definitely put the work in and, and you're going to get lucky. You're going to meet people. You're going to have, you know, increase your network, but hard work pays off. So you're doing the work, but unfortunately there is chauvinism in the game. I mean, it, World War One, women's teams were filling stadiums, but then after the war, the English FA essentially banned women playing. And it wasn't until 1971 that they were even allowed to play again women's teams are starting to fill stadiums. But if you look at the coaching ranks, 91% of coaching jobs in the world are held by men. And your friend and mentor, Linda Hamilton, who you describe as your favorite coach of all time, she describes it as when she won the first ever Women's World Cup in 1991, that each generation is sort of happy with what you have. And I think that's often true for pioneers who are putting in the work. They know deep down that they're doing something that will impact future generations, but they have enough on their plate by having to do the work itself. Sandra Dorelyers, who's the general manager and head of women's football at PSV Eindhoven, has described it as, you know, she has to work twice as hard and that she's okay with that. So what I want to know is for allies like myself or people, men in particular, who want to see more than 9% of leadership roles and coaching jobs go to women in all versions of the game, whether it's men's or women's, what can we do to help? That's a great question. And I've been asked recently, like, oh, you're such a pioneer. And I don't think of it as being a pioneer. What I think of being a pioneering decision is someone like Landon, who's consciously made an effort to hire the best people and not based on their gender. So like our head of sports performance is a woman, our team manager is a female, our athletic trainer is a female, Shannon McMillan is one of our advisors. You know, I'm obviously on the field. So the allies out there, the people out there who are in the the decision-making roles and the positions of quote-unquote power, if our allies can look at people's resumes, whether it's in business, whether it's in sports, whether it's in education, look at an applicant for a job as who's the most qualified and who's going to fit our organization, what we're trying to do with our culture and our ideals, rather than, oh, you know, Joe versus Mary. Look at the characteristics that each candidate brings to the table and make your decisions from there. But I'm not asking for people to hire women just because I want to be seen as a coach and women want to be seen as qualified for whatever job it is, whether it's a professor, whether it's a superintendent of a school. So looking at the quality of the candidates versus gender, I think, is what allies can do now and into the future. You've spoken a lot about having great mentors along the way, whether it's Linda Hamilton or Tom Saxton. What have they taught you along the way, in particular around mental skills and resilience? 
I've had a ton of, of good mentors, both men and women. And Ralph Perez, who used to coach for the LA Galaxy and, and the New York, New Jersey Metro Stars when, when, when they were named that way back in the day. When Tony Miola was their goalkeeper. And Tony Miola was their goalkeeper, yeah. Or someone who's powerful in business. I have a, a mentor, Sherry Nomadi, who has her own marketing promotions company. I think watching others be successful and trying to bounce ideas off of them. And, you know, everyone needs a champion. Everyone needs someone to say, you know what, like you can do it. You're not alone in how you feel. Or if you're some days you might be lacking confidence and you might need a little pep talk. Linda specifically, not many people know this because now they see the success and the money that's invested into the women's national soccer team. But Linda was my coach before we were varsity at Michigan, and she was training for the Olympics. And they didn't have the combines. They didn't have the residency that they did at the time. And she would coach us, and then she would run sprints on her own after practice. And she would never run with us because she was like, this isn't about me. I'm your coach. But I remember like coming off the field after doing – 120s and looking and seeing my coach who's won the 1991 World Cup and she's literally running sprints by herself. That impacted me to say, you know what, she has a goal and she's achieved the highest level, like, but that's what it takes to get there. It, ta it takes doing things when no one's watching. It takes doing things that, you know, you don't really necessarily want to do, but they impact where you get to and they impact that pathway to achieving your goals. How do you keep in touch with your mentors? Well, social media is good nowadays. Trying to just make sure to touch base. I've been really reflective during the coronavirus and even in the past year, making sure to thank the people that that have helped me along the way, be it, you know, my old high school coach or a teammate who, you know, I could rely on or I used to go train with our boys soccer team when I was training for Michigan, the men's coach would just have me come to practice. So making sure to thank all the people along the way that have helped you get to where you're at. Cause no one really does it alone. You do it with that community of mentors and colleagues and peers who, you know, all hopefully want to see you successful and, and, and help you along the way. One of the things that you've talked about being successful along the way is values. Jen Klein, who's the current coach at Michigan, last season they had a slogan to make it Michigan. And a lot of that was about the underlying values of Michigan around honor and humility and sacrifice and pride, really bringing them to life within the women's program. Maybe they had those values hadn't been really at the surface before she took over, at least recently. And you've talked about your purpose as a coach really is to teach skills you know, like empathy and leadership. So how do you teach those skills to your players? Every team that you're around, and I didn't do this very well in my earlier coaching career, was establishing what we're going to be about. And as a coach, you always evolve. Currently within our SD Loyal team, we have four internal core values that Landon feels really strongly about and, and we've been impressing on the players. And you can't just talk about your core values. You have to actually refer back to them and ingrain them into what you're doing. And our four values are respect, 
competition, compassion, and gratitude. And we have a little award each week that we honor someone on our team from the prior week who's exemplified those values. You can't just say, here are our core values. Ta-da! You have to actually live, work, breathe those. And when you're faced with difficult decisions, you need to refer back to those and say, you know, is this in line with what our core values are? And I didn't always do that. I didn't always emphasize that earlier in my, my career. But now, as you get older, you kind of realize how important that is. And when, as, as you have to become a leader in different ways, and as people and players evolve, those things are, are super important. So the sort of weekly reinforcement of, of the values at San Diego Loyal, that's a great example of how you can make it real and live your culture and make sure it stays top of mind. How do you think about transferring those values off of the pitch? Again, respect, competition, compassion, and gratitude. Three of those four are more essential probably off the field than on the field. So being grateful for the opportunities that you have. And I think the way we, we impact our players is that's how we try to carry ourselves. And Landon, for sure, leads and lives those values. And so we're always learning from him and our players can learn from us. It's not just about what you do at work. It's how you lead your life off the field as well. So being grateful for the little things, because sometimes, you know, we all get caught up in, oh, I wish I had this, or I want this, or, oh, this isn't going well. So taking the time to step back and being grateful. And that could be doing acts of service for others, fundraising for a children's hospital or donating your time to do something or giving blood or whatever the case may be. All those actions matter and and people can learn from them just how to be a nicer, more well-rounded, compassionate human. Winning people. Yeah, exactly. You, you say that you haven't always been great at leading with the values and inculcating them into a team. Now that you have, do you have any examples where it's clearly made a difference? Yeah, I think there's a lot of them, but I, I'll refer back to my women's team at the College of Mount St. Joseph. I was there four years and balancing both coaching the men's and the women's team. And The women's team was super talented. We had great athletes. And my second year there, we were probably the most talented that we'd ever been. And we couldn't find the right chemistry. Looking back, that was on me. We were successful. We made it to the conference tournament, but there was something that wasn't gelling within the team. And, you know, after the season, I kind of found out some things that were going on and what I did from that was I tried to learn about building up and making sure that there was more cohesion within the team. Fast forward two years from there, we had a great season. We won our conference. We went on the NCAA tournament, lost in double overtime to the number one team in the nation. And it was just this different vibe. And it it was more about the players were able to set their own values and goals rather than me putting my imprint on the team and saying, this is what we're going to do. And these are our goals. And this is what we're going to achieve. You have to be big enough to allow the team to do it. And whatever they commit to, you support that and you let them lead it a little bit more than you putting your mark and your imprint on things. So I think, 
you know, making sure that there's collaboration, communication, camaraderie, and all of those things within your teams, whether it's sports teams or business teams. It's important that everyone feels valued and feels a part of whatever goals we are setting together to kind of row the boat in the same directions. I know that you've personally transferred lessons from from the game into life. You were on the the Finest City football podcast, and I love the story that you told, and I want you to share it again here. I know that you've done some award-winning work on a loading dock. Tell us about that. Yeah, so life is not easy, and I have lived some very humbling times through my coaching career. So I had had just come off of working for the Vancouver Whitecaps and I went, moved to Vancouver, left a great coaching job, went up there, was supposed to be the assistant with their women's team and coach their under 18 girls elite team. Well, they canceled their W league team. So basically I was taking the U 18s, but they let me know that I wasn't going to be there long-term. So I basically got let go, had to come back to California It was 2012, in February of 2012, February, March of 2012, and I couldn't find a job. And so I went from working for an MLS organization to coaching one team for a club and not really having much income. So I applied everywhere. And long story short, the only place that would hire me was UPS. So here I am, went to Michigan, teaching certificate, master's degree, college coach. And I'm like, oh crap, got to do it. So I started working for UPS, unloading boxes from those big semis that you see driving down the road. I would go in at like 2.30 in the morning and unload until we were done. So it was like 2.30 a.m. to like 8, 8.30 a.m. unloading anything and everything that anyone wants to ship. So each week it was so hard and, and they ended up promoting me to sorting and then they promoted me to loading and every day I would go in and punch a time clock and it was mentally challenging. It was physically challenging. Like I was basically working out for eight hours and I got to a point where I would cry in the back of the trucks and I had to have one of those moments of like, all right, Taylor, it's time to get your stuff together. And I remember I was covered in dirt. I had my work boots on, you know, my hair in a hat. And I basically had to have a pep talk with myself. And I said, look, you've run marathons, you've coached, you've played. You need to rely on those skills that you learn through sport to get you through what you're in right now. It was like an aha moment. And I said, you know what? Today, from this point on, you're going to be the best loader you can. You're going to finish as quickly as possible. And then you're going to go help the person next to you. And you're just going to do the best thing that you could do in this moment. So I had that aha moment, changed my mindset. And so I would make it a competition with myself. And you would get certificates for perfect loads for the week. They would bring you in at lunch at, at your break time. And they would say, ah, you know, Carrie Taylor's loaded 5,010 perfect loads this week. And they would give you a certificate and you would get to pick a prize. At that time, it was hard. And I didn't really understand how much I probably needed that at the time. Through that process, I try to remind myself anytime I'm complaining or 
oh, I'm so frustrated. Like my friends that know that story are like, Carrie, you could still be at UPS. And I'm like, you're right, I could. So we all have those times in our lives that basically suck and you just have to find it within yourself to to get through it. And I relied on my background in sport and I'm glad that I went through that experience. And, you know, not that UPS is a bad place to work, but it's a hard, hard, hard job. In retrospect, it's probably hard for you as well, but I find it hard to believe that prior to that, you started coaching when you were only 15, but there was still a time where you were disillusioned with coaching and not sure that you wanted to do it. How did you find yourself sort of disillusioned with your dream job and how'd you get back in the groove? Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was kind of during that UPS experience because I was still trying to get back into soccer while I was going through that process. And I interviewed at a couple universities and I, I went to one of my friends who was the head coach at a local university in Southern Cal. And he told me I was overqualified. I was basically begging for a job and back in soccer. And he was like, I can't hire you. You're overqualified. And I'm like, really? You're going to, you're going to have me still work at UPS. During that time, it was a moment or a period of disillusionment. I was trying to teach coaching licenses on the weekend and not getting much sleep and working at UPS. And and I just, I had a, a time where I remember I was talking to Ian Woodhead, who coaches at Santiago Canyon College in Southern California. And he and I had just finished a coaching license. And I was like, Ian, I don't know that I can do this. It's been awesome. It's been a fight. And, but I'm not getting any traction. And I'm, people are telling me I'm overqualified. And, and I just don't know if it's worth it. And so he listened to me and he talked to me and, and he basically said, we would lose, lose someone that's good for the game if you make that decision to leave. And that kind of stuck with me. So I got back up on the horse and I, I ended up, you know, getting a job as a, as a club DOC. And then four years later, I got fired from that job. So <laughs> then I was out of the game again, but I got fired from that job. And the next day I met Landon Donovan and three years later, here I am with SD Loyal. So life is going to kick you in the teeth and you just have to choose how you're going to come out of it. When you see famous people or you see people be successful, I think it's important to know that they fail too. It's okay to have failure. It's okay to set a goal and not get there and just have to readjust. I met Landon and worked with him side by side on a project to bring Major League Soccer to San Diego. And we put our, our us and the city and a lot of people put our heart and soul into it. And we lost an election and I was devastated. Like I was like, I don't know that I can do it. I don't know that I ever want to put myself out there again. And Landon came to me and said, hey, what about USL? And I was like, okay, I'm emotionally drained. I don't know that I could go through this, but where do I sign up? So we're we're not perfect. We're not always going to be successful. And we just have to keep getting back on the horse and being resilient and have grit because no one's going to have a, a pity party for anybody. You just have to do it. Well, I think being good for the game was right. You've impacted thousands of players at all levels. And, you know, you got started there because you took the MCATs and decided you didn't want to go to medical school and you wanted to follow what made you happy. 
you've coached at Division Three, Division One, youth, MLS, and now in USL. What advice do you have for people to to help them find their level? You know, I mean, not everyone can be the head coach. Not everyone can be the CEO. Not everyone can be the captain of the team. Not everyone can be a professional player, different levels within the game. How do you help people find the path that makes them happy? That's a hard question because... I took jobs at times where maybe I didn't agree with the philosophies and that's hard. So I I think, you know, my advice is life's too short to hate your work or not enjoy your job. But yeah, sometimes you're going to have to be in situations that are preparing you for the next challenge. But if you can really, you know, look inside yourself and find your passion, what gets you out of bed in the morning? If teaching is your passion, then try to figure out what that looks like and, and how you can pursue that. If soccer is your passion, talk to people, network, find people that can help guide you and recommend you and set you up for success and you know, continue to educate yourself. Like when you have to consistently learn and adapt with whatever career that you're pursuing and being able to, again, work within something that you love because If you're not happy with what you're doing, that's going to transfer into all aspects of your life. So the the more you can find what you're good at and what speaks to you, then the better you're going to be for others and the better you're going to be, you know, for yourself. There's something that I've already learned from this discussion, and it's it's sort of the opposite of just following your passion. It's from that from that UPS story. What I find is that you figured out a way to be excellent at it, even though it wasn't necessarily your passion, so that it wouldn't spill over into other areas of your life, right? That there might always be something within another larger task that, are, that you don't like, where you can find something that is meaningful to you. And so you probably didn't really care about the, the award certificates in the end, but you were happy that you were able to excel and compete and find the the joy in that. That's a good point. I think we did an individual core values assessment with our with our soccer staff and it didn't really surprise anybody that one of my personal internal core values is competition and whether that's competition with myself or with others. So within that UPS moment, the competitive part of it of being the best at it was what got me through. For some people, competition is not their thing. It could be family or camaraderie or whatever, but that's definitely inherent within me. I don't know where it came from. I think it maybe came from just my upbringing in Flint where you know you had to be successful to survive. So yeah, I mean, now that you say that, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that definitely, that UPS experience definitely you know, connected with, with my core values in a, in a strange way. Well, that competition is not surprising. You're you're sort of an entrepreneur and yourself. Helped start the Div One team at Michigan. Started the men's program at Mount Saint Joseph. You've essentially started a, a pro club in San Diego. How do you decide what risks are worth taking? I like a good challenge, and maybe that goes to competition. Doing something brand new that you can do with other people that you can be 
the first to me is is exciting. So I like to rock climb. So that's a risk. I like to do fun things. Like I went whitewater rafting in Africa. I think it's part of just my, within my personality is I don't go play in traffic or anything like that. <laughs> but like that, ex- that excitement, that kind of adrenaline rush that comes with having someone say, oh, you shouldn't do that. Or, oh, wow, you're really you're really courageous or, oh, that's not going to work. And, and I kind of go, oh, really? Let's go. Like, giddy up, you know? So that's just something that, that I've always kind of had. My parents aren't really, aren't really risky people and never, you know, it's not like they go bungee jumping or anything like that, but it's just something that's always kind of been in me. So hopefully that transfers to, to people that might, see me or know me to say, you know what, let's get outside of our comfort zone. Because if you stay within your comfort zone, you never know how far you can go. And there's a quote, I'm probably going to massacre it, but I think it's, it says something like, only those working to go far will ever know how far they can go. Go for it. Do it. If you fail, oh well. Go run a marathon. Go quit your job and go try to find a new job in your passion. Obviously, don't go out and quit your job if based on my recommendations, but you know what I mean? Like, go for it. Just do it. Like Nike says, even though we're sponsored by Adidas. So I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> there's a, there's a, maybe a Canadian reference, which is the notion that you've got to be out over your skis. I completely understand what you're saying. One way that my family is able to motivate me, my, either my wife, Sarah, or my kids, you know, something will be need, need to be fixed or something. And they'll say, you know what? I think it's probably impossible to fix it. At that point, I am then excited. And so professionally, I've had to learn to, okay, I, I can't just do things or attempt to do things because someone says they're impossible, even though I personally find that motivating, I might not end up being the most successful because maybe I should understand why it's hard or, and I should also assess whether it's a challenge worth spending my time on. How do you evaluate your own work to make sure that you're continuously improving as a coach? This opportunity has actually been really good because I've been able to learn from other people on our staff. And and sometimes in our career paths, you reach a point where you might be at the head of the table. You, You might be the director or the president. And sometimes it's hard to learn from others because you're having to lead all the other people. So I'm really cherishing the opportunity to learn from other people. I like to read. So reading up on new topics and and new things is always a way to challenge myself and to make sure that I'm reflecting and, and getting better. Talking to other coaches, talking to other leaders is always a good way to kind of grow your mind and and think about things in in different ways. It's always good to progress with the times and soccer has changed a lot in my lifetime. And so be it the technology that's utilized, the sports science that's utilized, trying to stay up on topics. I just got a book. What is tactical periodization? I'm trying to learn more things and what worked in the past doesn't necessarily work now. So it's always good to make sure you're growing within your career. One of your quotes that you like, uh, a sort of career mentor that maybe you don't know personally, but I know you're a fan of is Sheryl Sandberg. Mm -hmm. 
And she has a quote around the notion of if you get an opportunity on a rocket ship, you get on. My impression is that you thought that the white caps might be that kind of opportunity. Has that experience improved your ability to judge where to take risk and which opportunities are actually rocket ships? Yeah, that's a great question. That's, that is one of my favorite quotes. I've used that quote a couple times. And even with my experiences with Landon, when I was asked to take part in trying to push the MLS team, I referred back to that quote. And, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, So you can never know how a decision pans out until you actually make the decision. Sure. But the trick is to try and turn it into foresight. Yeah, that's the trick. So I think after Vancouver, I started to do a little bit more of the SWOT analysis or just pro cons and and literally go through, okay, if you do this, what's the potential consequence if you don't do this? And if the pros outweigh the cons, then you take time and kind of look at what the opportunity is. Obviously, you can't say yes to everything. You're not going to quit your job if there's no real future in something, but having that ability to go for it within reason and with a well-informed decision is a quality that some people don't have it. Some people go through life and, and they don't take risks and that's fine if, it, if that works for them. But that's that's never really been something that that's worked for me. I mean, looking back, I was teaching high school and coaching high school and a friend said, Hey, apply for this job at Mount St. Joe. They want to, they want a women's coach and they want someone to start the men's program. And I was like, they're never going to hire a woman. And my buddy was like, just put your name in, put in your resume. And I was like, okay, here we go. So I put in my resume, I got an interview and I got the job. So, you know, sometimes your friends and colleagues and mentors need to push you towards jumping on that rocket ship. And then when you get there, you're like, oh, yeah, I wish I would have had a ticket earlier, you know? (laughs) You've talked about your experience having been fired from jobs, and that's something that's normal in the coaching world. At at the highest levels of the game, there's a veritable merry-go-round. Coaches get hired to get fired, and and you you can't be afraid of that. People are like, oh, God, I can't tell anyone I got fired. It's like, you know what? Sometimes, sometimes your things aren't a good fit or the, the path goes a different way. And so that's normal in the coaching world and, and lots of people aren't risk takers, but we're living in a time where there's lots of uncertainty. There are millions of people in the U.S. who are now unemployed and probably never expected to be because they're not soccer coaches. You've talked about really doing your best work and, and worrying about the things that you can control But it still must be hard where you've worked for years to get a professional team in San Diego. You play one match. Two matches. We did one behind closed doors. Okay. Yeah. And now you can't play. Right. How how are you dealing with it? And what are you telling your team? The amazing thing is we have great ownership. Our owner, Andrew, our president, Warren Smith, and obviously Landon, they are fully invested in, in our club. And our slogan in the beginning was here to stay. And now that here to stay, actually, it's eerie because it's so in line with what we're going through right now. The players, they're, they're great. We are doing Zoom workouts. I was on our Zoom workout earlier, not participating, but watching before you and I got on. They're doing running on their own. We're, we're checking in with them. 
we're trying to keep it light and help them if they need it to get through this time mentally and, and physically. And the hope is we'll get back out there at some level. It might not be with fans, but sport serves a purpose for the community. It's a source of entertainment. It's a source of community and camaraderie. And I think all of us within whatever sport you like or support, whether it's soccer, basketball, hockey, I hope that when teams come back to playing, we all have a different appreciation for it. The old saying, you don't know what you have till it's gone. And so that gratitude, that compassion for, for other people, the hope is sport and life and, and work, we all come back with kind of a new outlook on things. Having grown up in Pennsylvania, going to school in Michigan, but now proudly being Canadian, there's another line in that ain't no future MC breed that is, if I was president, I would state facts. So we'll not talk about the coronavirus response there and instead turn to um, your work with charitable causes. You grew up playing in a competition called Can USA. In that competition, if you made the sort of all-stars within the group, then you would travel to Canada or vice versa. And one of the things that you've done based on that experience, because you earned a scholarship through that competition, is that you've created the Carrie Taylor Scholarship Fund. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, thank you for mentioning that. My up- upbringing in Flint and the, the summer sports programs in Flint, that's where I started playing. That's where I started coaching. I used to referee it was a way to keep kids out of trouble and a lot of good athletes have come from Flint. So I, I started a scholarship through a foundation in Flint and it's the Carrie Taylor scholarship. It's for a young female who has a certain grade point average. Uh, it's a thousand dollar scholarship. That's going to hopefully be renewable if I raise enough money to help that young person go to either a two year college four year college or a vocational school. I won a scholarship coming out of high school through that program. It was called the Marie Manley Scholarship, and that helped me fund my way through Michigan. At the time, we were a club team, so they didn't offer athletic scholarship. How I went to college was academic money, different academic scholarships, and I had to take out a couple loans my last two years. But I want to try to give back to my local community, and I've also done some work with a nonprofit called Coaches Across Continents. They partner with coaching organizations in a multitude of countries. And so I got to go to Zimbabwe and Zambia and work with groups of coaches um, in those two countries. And that was a definite life-changing experience. So I do a little bit of work with them and try to spread their message of soccer is the beautiful game that unites people. And then SD Loyal, we're also, this is like my fundraising. Fundraising right now. Yep. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You're fundraising for Rady's Children's Hospital. Right yeah, now. we're fundraising money right now, which is a crazy time, obviously, to ask people for donations. But one of our partners is Rady Children's Hospital, and they're on our uniform sleeve. And they were going to do a walkathon on May 2nd, but they've had to cancel it. So Landon, myself, and Nate Miller, our other assistant coach, we are team captains. And we are fundraising money, and I'm team one. If anyone wants to donate to that, you can go on my, my Twitter, CT underscore SD Loyal. If you got $5 that you want to spare for the kids, feel free. All the money goes to Rady Children's Hospital. And as a club, it's crazy. We, we weren't sure how it was going to be received by the community. And 
between the three teams, we've raised over $32,000. We're blown away by the generosity of people. That's fantastic. I will retweet it, of course, but also Weasels FC will make a donation. So you should see that on your page today. As someone who agrees with the philosophy of being 10 minutes early is what counts as on time, you sort of got your current job because you were stuck in LA traffic and running late and the only seat at the meeting left was next to Landon. And for me, that's one of the things that I love about the beautiful game is that it is somewhat a game of chance, that it doesn't always work out where the best team wins, that there are some unusual results that, that happen. You've coached around the world. You've talked about your experience being able to coach in Africa. You've talked about the power of sport around camaraderie and what it means to a community and fans. I just want to finish with what makes the game beautiful to you. Ooh, that just kind of gave me chills because it's so many things. As a young person growing up, it gave me something to focus on where I could put my energy to and it gave me an opportunity to be successful at something and and learn life skills of perseverance, commitment, competition, all of that. It's given me a lifelong group of friends through it. I still keep in contact with women that I played college soccer with or old coaches or old players even. As you get older, you get invited to weddings of your former players and, and things like that. You can go anywhere in the world. And this is what I really realized in Africa was traveling in Africa. You're kind of like, oh my gosh, like I'm in, I don't know what, where I'm going, what I'm doing. And every time I got into a cab in Africa, the cab driver had a sticker of a soccer club, whether it was Manchester United or Chelsea or Liverpool or whoever it may be. It was mostly like, Let, let's, let's name the teams that are important here. <laughs> you're, you're a Spurs fan, right? Or Tottenham. Yeah. I didn't, I don't know if or, I saw or any Aston Tot- Villa or Aston Villa. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, Barca or whatever, but literally every cab I got into the, the cab driver had a sticker of a soccer team and I was able to, to be nervous getting into a cab in a strange country. But as soon as I saw that sticker, I was like, oh, you're a football fan? And they'd go, what What do you know about football? I'm like, oh, I coach. And they're like, oh, yeah. And so it's this like moment of trust and connection right away. If you can say, oh, I'm a Spurs supporter. And someone's like, no, Liverpool, you know. So it it really brings people together in ways that some other sports just don't. The sport's given a ton to me. It, it's given so much to my life. And so I just hope that I'm giving back enough to the game that that's given me so much. I'm very grateful that you gave me the opportunity to speak with you as I was learning about you. Your journey really resonated with me. I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania, Erie, Pennsylvania, and then went to school in Ann Arbor at the University of Michigan. And then I ended up playing semi-professionally for a while, but I dropped out of Michigan because I didn't want to go to law school with the rest of my friends and worked as a professional chef for nearly a decade in Chicago, Hawaii, DC, Italy. And then met my wife playing soccer. She played for the University of Mississippi and she's originally from Vancouver. So I moved to Vancouver. I had an opportunity when I started my second software company to go live and work in Cincinnati for a while. Oh my God. (laughs) And so I went and lived and worked in Cincinnati for a while. And then my brother lives in San Diego. And I'm now back in Vancouver, and but 
you know, a lot of your story really resonated with me and, and I really want to thank you for sharing it with me and, and sharing it today. Thank you for joining us today on The Beautiful Game. We hope you also have some new ideas and inspiration to live, work, and play better. Please subscribe to get future episodes. And you can join the conversation with your host, Tony Niccolo, on Twitter at WeaselsFC. FC.